Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Uh, well, if you uh, have not been tracking with us since Easter, at Easter we kicked off a new series that we've called Musical Chairs, and we're just using that as a framework because so many times life Life feels like a game of musical chairs. It feels like you've been sucked into this thing that all of a sudden there's this, there's this big flow, but you know at some point the music is going to stop. Everybody's going to scramble, and you are constantly waiting for that, for that next moment where everybody grabs what they can, and then sure enough, you get left out and find no place to rest. But in Christ, we all have a place to rest. Life is not this, this mad dash to just take care of ourselves. It's not that at all. It's all about resting in Jesus. And we have come back over and again to this passage of Scripture where Jesus recognizes and he saw the futility of us trying to take care of ourselves. We who can't take care of ourselves trying panicking, going at it with all we've got. Some people giving up and sitting in the corner and crying, but doing something about the frustrations of life. And, and Jesus sees that and comments on in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. We have to take his yoke Upon us, We have to be willing to embrace it. It's not just dumped on us. It's not just all of a sudden against our will. We have to willingly take it on. And he's invited us. Take his yoke upon. You're going to be under some kind of yoke. It's going to happen. Nobody's yokeless. Everybody has something that's leading and guiding and influencing them. Everybody does. So what Jesus is saying is take my way. Take, take my direction. Take, the, take my guidance upon you. And learn from me, for I'm gentle and I'm humble at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's like I've been watching you and the, and the yoke you've taken on and the burden you've taken on. It isn't easy and it isn't light. It's driving you into the ground. And I want to relieve you of that if you'll just learn from me. So that's what we've been trying to do over these last few weeks is is to break out of the cycle of trying to take care of ourselves and to, and to learn to rest in this spot that Christ alone has provided for us, in him, that we have a place to rest and we can enjoy what he has provided and say no to the cycle that drives us insane. But we still, in our mind, that old cycle, it still is about winners and losers and winners and losers. In our life, we analyze everything, everything, about the winners and the losers. Man, you drive into a parking lot, and all of a sudden you see everybody looking for a good, cushy parking lot, and somebody pulls out right at the right time, and you get a good parking lot, and you're like, win! Bam, peace, losers. And everybody else is having to walk a mile, and you get the win. Sit there at the bank line, and everybody else, and man, what are you wanting? All of a sudden, all the people who want to be led by the Holy Spirit say, Holy Spirit, show me which is going to be the one that goes first. I know some, one of these is going to move before the other one. Lord, help me choose wisely. Then you choose one and the other one goes and you're like, Holy Spirit, what happened here? And you're like, you're not really listening. You're just being selfish. And so, and, uh, 
And so, but we all look, we look at everything as winners and losers, winners and losers, winners and losers. Our society, our culture has taught us to frame everything by winners and losers. And it's hard to break our mindset off of this. But we need to understand that in Christ, we're always set up for a win. Always. Even when it looks like a losing proposition. See, God will turn our losses into win. That's why we don't have to freak out when all of a sudden our plans feel like they didn't quite happen the way we thought they were going to happen and we didn't end up with the win we had thought we had orchestrated and orchestrated. God will be able to bring wins all over the place, even in places we feel like are losses. If you've been walking with Christ for any length of time, you're familiar with Romans 8, 28. It says, and we know I love that Paul is so confident. He's not even like, some of you get this. He's just like, this is an understood truth. We know. Folks, this is something we need to know. This isn't something we need to guess about. This isn't something we need to wonder about. This is something we need to know. If you don't know this, it is going to mess up your world and your walk with God. If you are sketchy on this next thing that he has to say, if you're wondering about it, you need to let the Holy Spirit work in you and you need to know. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purposes. He's gonna work in all things, no matter what life, the enemy, our own foolishness, whatever gets thrown at us. Things that aren't of God at all, he can begin to turn situations around and create amazing, beautiful results. We've seen it during this time. We've seen it during this thing. God is not the author of the coronavirus. He comes to heal. He comes to set free. He doesn't use this kind of stuff for for his plan. Not under Christ. That's not the way this works. But guess what? He'll create good. And there's been a lot of good happening around here. When you show up after, uh, on or after May 24th, you're going to see a lot of good. And we, man, if we were to turn these cameras around, this sanctuary is a wreck. There's a wreck. There's lumber stacked over here. There's all sorts of stuff in the corner. There's a mess over there because we've been doing projects. And we can leave it a mess because you're at home and you ain't here to look at it and go, what you been doing, Pastor, all week? Why is this lumber in here? Clean it up. And we're able to get some stuff done around here because of this. You know what? I would much rather have had to get to see you and hug you and be with you every week than to be able to make the progress we've made. But because I can't see you, guess what? We have cranked out some projects. We're gonna, things are going to be so much better when you get back. And God can utilize different things. I know you've seen some moments I tell you what, being, being sequestered together, we've had some wonderful, amazing moments as a family because my kids don't have anywhere to go. So they're all hanging out together. And so, man, we've really enjoyed it. We've had some really sweet conversations and some really sweet moments together, and God will turn things around. And so one of the things we enjoy at the Clark House is we like movies. We love movies. And I like certain kinds of movies. And my wife likes other certain kinds of movies. And every once in a while, though, those circles overlap. 
And so, but a lot of times I go into her world of movies and, and stay over there with the chick flicks and the Hallmark movies and all that fun stuff and, and, and all that. But I like action movies and she's like, I, she can't stand that stuff. She's like, there's, I've got stress, there's enough stress in the world already. Why would I watch someone else's stress? And it's like, there's no point in that. Make me laugh, make me feel like love is awesome. Don't, I don't want to watch stress. But I like action movies. And so here with Mother's Day, I thought that there would be a pretty cool mom action movie, okay? And so with every action movie, a cool mom action movie, you got to have this mom, of course, and there's got to be a point of tension, okay? And there's got to be a point of significant tension. You know, we've all seen the mama bear shirts, right? Mama bear is real. We have one at our house. Don't jack with mama bear. And so that's the way... It goes, you mess with the babies, you mama bear claws come out. That's just the way it goes. And so we, got, we have mama bear, and we have tension, and we're going to have this great movie, okay? And so, and then we've got to scale it up. We've got to get to like James Bond level here. So we're going to have an evil dictator for our movie. So we have an evil dictator, okay? And then we have this mom who's just caring for her kids and doing her thing, and then evil dictator goes totally off the rails. He goes nuts. And he's like, you know what? Um, I'm actually going to say, if you have a, if you have a boy, um, you're going to have to kill the boy. You're actually going to have to drown him in the river. You're going to have to chunk him in the river. And Mama Bear's like, mm-mm, not happening. So instead of the movie taken, we have the movie untaken. Because Mama ain't having it. And so she is going to figure this out. So... Mom Bear, she's smart. She figures this out, and she's able to have this plan. And at this point, she's already got a couple of kids here, and before the evil dictator went crazy. So she's like, you know what? Uh, Mom Bear is expecting a new one. And all of a sudden, she finds out it's going to be a boy. And under evil dictator, the boy's going to have to be killed. And she's like, nope, not, not happening, not happening. She's like, you know what? The best place... For my boy is to actually be cared for by somebody this evil dictator cares about. And evil dictator has a daughter. And I know where the daughter hangs out. The daughter hangs out at the spa like every evil dictator's daughter hangs out. She's just burning daddy's money that he's robbing from everybody. She's getting the nails. She's getting the stuff. She's chilling. She's like, oh, we'll ignore daddy's business. He's a good daddy. I'm not going to care where, he, where the money comes from. Just keep it flowing. Uh, keep, it, keep the gas in my G-Wagon and I'm all right. And so, uh, so she's at the spa and mama figures out that, you know what, that she goes down to the spa, and so she crafts. And every good movie's got to have a build sequence. I grew up watching the A-Team, and that's one of the best parts of the A-Team, is when it kicks to just music, and B.A. Baracus, and Hannibal, and Face, and all of them start their build stuff, and they grab all their stuff together. You watch MacGyver, and he gets a ballpoint pen and some stuff, and he all of a sudden makes a nuclear bomb, and, I, and, and it's just awesome. I grew up in the 80s, and I love a good build sequence. So my, my awesome mom movie is going to have a build sequence. So, man, she's got her perfect nails, man, but she's got, the, she's got her welder hood on, and you see her perfect nails, and she's sitting there, she's welding, and she's got this little container that she's putting so she can put her son in the river, and he's protected. She sticks him in the river, and mom's got a, got a daughter to, uh, that is just like her, because that's the way it was. they don't fall far from the tree. And so, and big sister 
is going to make sure little brother is okay. So she brings him, big sister into this, sticks the little baby outside of the spa, and then sure enough, the, the di- evil dictator's daughter comes, finds the baby, sees the cute little baby, takes it in. Then the big sister says, you know what? Um, you're going to need a nanny because no evil dictator is actually going to do the hard work of taking care of a baby. She's going to have a nanny. That's just the way it's going to go. She's like, you're going to need a nanny. I know where a good nanny is to be able to take care of this. And goes and gets mom, and then now mom is getting paid to take care of her baby and take care of it under the evil dictator's nose. So not only does the baby stay alive, but then mom is able to take care and, and bank at the same time and then train up her son, who will eventually lead a revolution and get everybody out from under the the thumb of the evil dictator. Wouldn't that be an awesome movie? It's a really cool 11 verses in the Bible, too. If you're not familiar with the story of Moses and his mama, that's their story. That's the way it went down. And so we're going to pick up in Exodus Exodus 1, verse 22. And sure enough, we have our evil dictator, then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. What a horrible, horrible, tragic thing. And here there's a woman named Jacobed who already has two children, one named Aaron, a boy, one named Miriam, and she finds herself pregnant. And see, this edict comes down, and she's just praying, let it be another girl. Let it be another girl. Let it be another girl. And she gives birth. It's not a girl. It's a little boy. And she's supposed to take that little boy, and the, the, the midwives charged by Pharaoh are supposed to take that little boy and rip it out of her hands and go chunk it in the Nile River. Let it, be, let it take its natural course and die. She doesn't let that happen. And she, she takes him in and she hides him and cares for him. And we see in looking at this mother responding to this horrible situation, absolute situation, that anybody would call a loss. We see all of a sudden things begin to turn around and see one of the most amazing winds come out in this for this for this little baby and this mom. See, because God protects his children. We keep going in Exodus 2.1. It's the very next verse after 122. It says, And now a man of the, the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, what mama doesn't look at their baby boy and think he's a fine child? Every mama looks and says, that's the most amazing little boy I've ever seen in my life. Maybe he was extra special but I guarantee he was extra special to her. And she saw that he was a fine child and she, she hid him for three months. Those first three months, you can, keep a, you can keep a little one isolated. You can keep some extra blankets around, maybe stifle the cries. Maybe you can't tell the difference between a, 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 a little girl cry and a, and a little boy cry. But after three months, all of a sudden, a little boy, a little baby, any of them, they're gonna start getting mobile can't keep a good baby down. They're going to start crawling, getting into everything. It's going to be a problem hiding Moses. And so 
we see a plan hatched. It says, but when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. And there's our build sequence. Man, nobody wants to mess with tar and pitch. But if it means saving her baby, she'll get tar and pitch up to her shoulders if it means saving her baby. So she builds this basket and covers it with tar and pitch. She waterproofs it. And then she places the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. And his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen. Now, if, if she had not placed it among the reeds, her daughter could not stand to see what would happen. She would have to walk along the flow of the Nile River. It would float along. I know it's real cute to watch the, the, the prince, uh, prince of Egypt and see that amazing sequence at the beginning. And she launches him out into the Nile. And, and the little baby Moses is in the little, the little mini ark. And he's bouncing around and hippos are hitting it and all these things. And it's going along and it makes for a really cool sequence. But that is not what happened. She did not stick him in the river and float him along and say, God, please take care of my kid. She made sure she had a plan. She stuck him among the reeds. Those reeds are not letting it go. She's following the rules. She stuck him in the river. But she stuck him in the river on her own terms. And she had her daughter poised, watching, and stood. And guess what happened? Guess what happened? Well, we'll get to what happened. But she made sure he was protected. She made sure he was protected. She had a guard. She made sure it was waterproof. She stuck him at the right place at the right time. See, Psalm 41.2 says, The Lord will protect him and preserve his life. He will bless him in the land and not surrender him to the desire of his foes. If there's a time we need to be convinced that our Heavenly Father will protect us, it's been in these times. And I hope that as we have progressed with this, that the spirit of fear has begun to fall off and the spirit of faith has begun to rise up. And we say, you know what? It doesn't matter what's happened in our land. It doesn't matter what decision the government makes. Because guess what? That, her government made a horrible decision for the life of, of her child. But she trusted in God. She trusted in God. And a mom will protect. I heard the story years ago of a man named Ira Sankey. And Ira Sankey was the worship leader, the song leader, for a guy named D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was one of the uh, most prolific evangelists, American evangelists in, the, in the, the late 1800s. And just saw massive people come to the Lord. In fact, a little side note, his, one of his quotes is one of my favorites. Because um, he, he purposed to lead someone to Christ every day of his life. He would not go to bed. And people knew this. And they saw him at the end of the day and said, hey, uh, uh, Mr. Moody, um, how many people have you led to Christ today? And he said, four and a half. And they're like, four and a half, um, Whoa, so was it four adults and a child? He's like, no, it's four kids and an adult. He said, that, that adults already lived half their life, have already blown, blown it half away. Those children have their whole lives ahead of them. And that's the beauty of motherhood because a mom gets to speak into life, into Jesus, into those children while they have their whole life ahead of them. Lead them and guide them and direct them. Well, Ira Sankey, this guy's worship leader, was on a paddle boat on the Delaware River on Christmas Eve in 1875. 
And so, as it, and so because his face had been in a bunch of newspapers promoting D.L. Moody, people recognized him on there. And they saw him there on the deck on this Christmas Eve on this, on this paddle boat. And they said, uh, Mr. Sankey, would you mind singing one of your hymns? Well, he was a more modest man, and he's like, he was uncomfortable singing one of the hymns he wrote. Felt like it was too self-promoting. He's like, well, I don't want to sing one of my hymns, but I'll sing you one of my, one of my favorite hymns. And so he begins to sing out this hymn. And so, and he begins to sing it out and he sings the entire hymn and people join in. And after it was over, there was a man that was in the crowd, walks up to him. He said, did you serve in the Union Army uh, during the war? He said, I did. He said, I did serve. He said, were you at such and such post here in uh, 1962? And he said, uh, yeah, yeah, that, that, I, was, I was there. He said, did you have to run picket duty on a moonlit night in 1962? He said, I, I, he said, I, I had to do it multiple times, but I, I do remember some, some very vivid moonlit nights. He said, sir, I was in the Confederate Army. He said, and I remember a night, he said, I was stationed. He said, I was there. He said, and a, and he said, and a man came out to begin to do his, his turn, he said, and I had my gun aimed, and I was going to be there, and I was, I was going to take it out. He said, and all of a sudden, that man just turns his eyes up to heaven and begins to sing the song you just sang. He said, and I would never, ever forget that voice. He said, and as you sang, I was like, I decided I, I'm just let this man sing his song. He said, he can't get away from me. I'm going to take him out. He said, and then in the middle of your song, I remember that was my mama's favorite hymn. He said, I put my gun down, and I walked away. And he said, and I'm so glad I got to meet the man that I spared that night. And there on that moment, that whether that guy had a conviction to serve God or not, a mom's conviction to worship in the home, to take him to church, to have him around those things. And guess what? Ira Sankey, who did not just sing when he was on a platform, but sang when he was in the lonely nights of watch duty. I'm gonna tell you what set him up for the platform with D.L. Moody was those lonely nights of worshiping on picket duty. That was what set him up for the platform to be alongside D.L. Moody and his face in the paper. And don't you ever think that your worship alone isn't making a difference. Because every time you're worshiping alone, there's an enemy in the, in the shadows. You have no idea, but it's being pushed back every time you worship on your own. Every time you're in your vehicle, every time you're in your home. Yes, it's awesome to get together and to worship together. But I'm telling you, those moments that matter, that make a difference, maybe you'll never ever find out about it like Ira Sankey was able to. But I'm telling you, those worship moments alone make a difference And mama, you worshiping in your home and it's changing the atmosphere of your home. Turn on, air one. Turn on those things. Whether the kids like it or not, whether they say, why do you always put this on? Put it on. Listen, worship. Let them know some of your favorite songs. You have no idea what impact that is going to make. A mom makes a difference. It makes a difference. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 says, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. And then we also see that not only does God protect, but God nurtures his children. The story goes on in verse 5. It says, And then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe. She goes with her entourage. She's going to the local spa. And her attendants were walking along the riverbank. And she saw the basket among the reeds. And she sent her female slave to get it. 
And she opened it and saw the baby. And he was crying and she felt sorry for him. And this is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. And then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, and go, she answered. And so she went, so, <clears throat> so the girl went and got the baby's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. All of a sudden, here was this situation that seemed to hope and bleak. But because this, this lady took action, she stepped out in faith. She understood what was going on. She was going to protect her child. And all of a sudden, now she's being paid to take care of her own child. Of being paid to take care of it. And, and she was able to nurture him and to care for him. God nurtures us. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. God cares God cares for you. John 10 verse 14 says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. This was a good shepherd like no other shepherd. See, the Hebrew people were a shepherding nation and they knew a shepherd would take on a wolf because that wolf was trying to take their sheep. They were going to protect their interest. A hireling would want to run away, but the sheep would take that staff, and he would go to battle with the wolf. But he's not going to let the wolf, he's going to, not going to lay down his life for the sheep. If it comes down to it, he's not going to let the wolf take him out. He's got a family to take care of. But Jesus is a shepherd of a whole nother level. He loves the sheep so much, he'll lay down his life for the sheep. It's a whole nother level of shepherd. He will, he will nurture and care on a whole different level, 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. He's given us everything we need. But we get it through, through our knowledge of Him. Through our knowledge of Him. That is why we lean into him, why we have the relational moments, why we have the private prayer and the private study and the public prayer and the public study so we can know God better, so that we can trust him more. Why? Because we have everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Scriptures tell us that his people perish because of a lack of knowledge, not because of a lack of provision, not because of a lack of safety, not because of a lack of anything, but knowledge. This is why we need to, to just lean in and, and to learn what God has freely given us. And the last thing we see is that God guides his children. And as I was going over this story, there were so many amazing moments of Jochebed with Moses. But this is, my, this is my nope moment, and I'm not a mom. And as I was sitting at my desk, my eyes puddled with water and tears as I was just going, How? How was she able to do this? And Exodus 2.10 says, when the child grew older, we don't know how old, but she is loving that baby boy every day. She's taking care of that baby boy every day. She instills his heritage into him and to such a point that later on in life when he's part of Pharaoh's family, he sees one of the Hebrews being abused and man, he responds. 
he responds in a way and he actually murders somebody. He can't take it. His culture is put into him by his mama. But there in Exodus 2.10 says, And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She took him. Because that was where he was going to be safe. She took that chubby little hand and she put it in somebody else's hand. Somebody whose family had hated their people. Somebody who had a murder assignment against their people. And she took him and she put him right where he needed to be. And I'm telling you, man, sometimes as parents, the guidance and the trust that we have to do with our children is tough. But man, we can always trust our kids with God. We can always trust them with God. Always. And there she went and she became her son. It says, and she named him Moses. We don't even know for sure the name Jochebed called him for all that time. We don't know it. We know the name Pharaoh's daughter gave him. Pharaoh's daughter called him Moses. We don't know his name. There's a lot of speculation. You can do your online research. A lot of people say it's about four or five different names they think was his original name. But our scriptures, we don't know it. She sang over him. She spoke to him. She taught him. and She called him a different name. And the name we know is a name another woman gave her baby boy. But we know him as a deliverer. We know him as, as the one that, that helped us begin to connect with God. We know Moses. And she named him Moses saying, I drew him out of the water. See, very, just a little bit later in Exodus 11, it says one day after Moses had, had grown up, he, he went out to where his own people were and, and he watched them at their labor and he, he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. This is where he flips out and murders somebody. But Moses knew his heritage. His mama guided him. And eventually he led the people of Israel out. He led them out and they come out of Egypt and they establish their own nation. And, and he, they, he takes them all the way to the edge of the promised land. And Moses is an amazing leader. But you know what set that amazing leader up was an amazing leader of a mama. Being able to sit there and do everything that she could to position her son to be able to be right where he needed to be. John, or, or Psalm 48, 14 says, for this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. And John 16, 13 says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not seek, he won't speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will he will tell you what is yet to come. Folks, we so need, we've always needed to be able to discern the speaking and the leading of the Holy Spirit. But in this age of competing information, man, if you try to go to the internet to find truth, you're gonna find a truth that then is combated by another truth that's combated by another truth. It's just chaos. Folks, it, the truth is found in Christ and Christ alone. It's not found in your Google search. It's not found in all that. It's found in Christ and Christ alone. It's confirmed by the leading and the voice of the Holy Spirit. 
Folks, we need to tune in and listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit now more than ever. And it's all, us being able to do that, we're only going to need to grow in our ability to discern the voice of God in our lives. We're just going to have to. We're just going to have to. See, our bottom line is, is, is God's love for you is bigger. And you're like, bigger than what? It's bigger. Whatever you think it is, it's bigger. However much you've understood, it's bigger. God's love for you is bigger. He it reaches further, it goes deeper, it goes higher, it stretches wider than you can wrap your mind around. So I want to encourage you, just keep leaning into the love of God. Keep growing in the love of God because, folks, resting in Jesus is where all life's wins are found. All of them. And he'll turn our losses into wins. He'll turn everything around. Impossible situations, he'll bring about impossible miracles. He'll turn things around. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. And we rest in that. We rest in that and that alone. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.